Goodness, goodness, goodness. We're going to be in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, if you guys want to turn there, I'll be there in a second. You know, I, I was just thinking this week, um, I didn't want to start a new series um, this week, especially with uh, the district superintendent coming next week. So I just wanted to preach, you know, a standalone message and kind of just sitting there meditating and praying about what to preach, especially with this being, uh, you know, Baptism Sunday. Uh, and I just, you know, I was thinking, and I kind of, I don't know where this will go. I've got some stuff written out. I don't even know if we'll go there. Um, but I just really wanted to kind of recap, and I do this quite often, where we've been, and then kind of look at where we're going, and maybe look at Colossians 2. Um, the verses that we picked out as the ch- uh, verses for the church, and we really felt like God was telling us these verses. Um, and so, you know, when we got here, going way back to the first Sunday that we got here, and don't worry, I won't do this forever. I mean, I won't be here three years from now and then start at the first Sunday we got here and then go all through every Sunday I've preached. I won't do that to you guys. But um, I won't do that to you guys. But for right now, I just really feel like that we're on this this progression, this journey, and it's like one message is feeding into the next, and it's really just bringing us to this to this end. And I really feel like there was a huge exclamation put on a season, you know, with the baptism at the bay, and then another exclamation point put on, you know, in today's text talk, how you'll say a sentence instead of one exclamation point, there'll be like three. I feel like that's that's our season so far as we got to the baptism at the bay and we ended the season with an exclamation point and then we get to the children's church presentation and we're just adding exclamation points to the first season or the opening season of this ministry and I just got to say that this has been an absolute joy to be down here with you people and I say you people nothing meant by you people I'm just kidding I just I say you guys because it really has. It's been an absolute joy. Faith and I have ministered to some wonderfully interesting people over the, the course of our lives. And I have to say that for me personally, out of the people that we've ministered to, you guys are definitely at the top because we sincerely love you and love being here. So anyway, when we got here the first Sunday, it was a Sunday right before Easter. And I've said this a hundred times. I don't preach messages dependent upon what holiday it is. I don't preach love on Valentine's Day. Although I did this past year, that was complete coincidence or God designed, wasn't on purpose. I preach love on Valentine's Day. I don't preach about the birth of Christ at the end of December. I don't preach a Thanksgiving message at Thanksgiving. I just, I don't do that. But every Easter leading up to Passover, I always preach a message on the triumphal entry and then a message on the resurrection. Because remember, the resurrection is the basis of all of our hope. It's the foundation of everything that we have. Without the resurrection, if Christ didn't die from the dead, we're still in our sins, we're still miserable, and we of all men are most miserable because we're believing in something that didn't happen. But if he did raise from the dead, then we have a hope that no one else has. And we should carry that as our banner, as our support, as our strength, as our joy. And so when we got here, it was the week of the triumphal entry. And so I preached a message on hope. But the message I preached was a hope that is founded in the biblical portrayal of Christ. Because many people have hope, but they have hope in something that is not going to happen. They have hope in something that will never come to pass. And we've all been there. We've all had hope in something that's never going to happen. 
We've all hoped to get a promotion and get passed over for it. We've all hoped to get a financial blessing and keep checking our mailboxes and then realize that we read the survey wrong. Or, you know what I'm saying? We've all hoped that we're going to get a, such a present for Christmas and then we open the box and they got us socks instead. We've all hoped for something and our hope has been deferred and we've received something else and that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so when I first got here, the message that we preached was the only sure, steadfast hope that you can possibly have is hope in a biblically sound picture of the person Jesus Christ. That's the only hope. And then the next week was the resurrection, the week of Easter. And I preached the message on true resurrection, true resurrection life. The fact that Jesus wasn't the first person ever raised from the dead. Lazarus was raised. Elijah raised a boy. Elisha uh, raised another boy. A man was thrown in Elisha's grave and hid his bones, and he was raised from the dead. Jesus raised uh, the widow of Nain's son. Right? Uh, anyway. Jesus raised a couple other people from the dead. Jesus was not the first person in the Bible to be raised from the dead. There were other people. However, the difference was is that Jesus' resurrection never ends in death again. Lazarus lived his life and went on to die. The other individuals that were raised from the dead, they died another death because they did not conquer death. The difference between Jesus' resurrection and everyone else's is that Jesus did it by himself and he did it completely and perfectly and he never was subject to death again. And his resurrection made true resurrection possible for us, which is, as we said a minute ago, the basis for all of our hope. So those first two messages tied in together. And then immediately following, we began our John 3.16 series and we wanted to lay the foundation. So we went through what is salvation and we answered the question and said salvation is all of grace, it's all of God, it's all of Jesus, it's all of faith, and it's all of eternity. And then we pro progressed on, we preached... Uh, communion message and then we preached a message on Psalm 139. We preached that God is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, and omnibenevolent and all of that is sourced and we know that the basis of our hope is in Jesus. So we tied all those together and then we started our series on Christian maturity and the different levels and how to progress and each progression had one thing in common that our progression is getting deeper and deeper into the intimacy with Christ. See in the natural realm as you get older, your maturity is shown by your independence. In the Christian realm, your maturity is shown by your dependence. See, if I, as I get older, when I move out of my parents' house and I get my own house, and I'm working and paying my own bills, and then I have children that are dependent upon me, I am becoming more independent of others around me. I don't have to ask for money. I don't do all these things. I don't depend on somebody else to provide for me. I do it myself. I can cook my meals. I can pay my bills. I can do all of this stuff myself, so I'm becoming independent. Therefore, society looks at me and says he is a more mature individual. In the Christian realm, as we become more and more dependent upon Jesus, that's what shows our maturity. When we realize, yeah, I go to work, but I can't do it without Christ giving me strength. If God doesn't give me the next breath, then I can't work this job. And if I can't work this job, then I can't pay my bills. And if I can't pay my bills and support and keep my house and cook my food and all of these things, so we realize as we become more mature in Christ that really what we're doing is we're becoming more and more dependent upon Him for every single need that we have. There's a point early in our ministry, and we still do this sometimes, where we, Faith and I, when we were separate before we got together, we would each, without the other person knowing it, when we opened our closet to pick out our outfit for the day, we would pray about that. And I know that sounds silly to a lot of people, but we would open our closets and say, God, what should I wear today? 
And I did that for a long period of my life and never told anybody that I did it. And one day Faith and I were joking and she actually admitted that she did that. It's not saying that we're so perfect or anything. It's saying that even in the smallest matters, you can find a way to be dependent upon God. I actually know a story that goes along with that. There was a woman and she was working with a ministry to smuggle Bibles into a foreign country where Bibles were outlawed. She went to her closet and she prayed about her outfit. She put on one dress and it was a red dress and she instantly felt this is the wrong one. So she looked at her closet and prayed again and there was a blue and black dress that she had. She put it on, put on a scarf or something because she felt led to do that even though it was hot outside. She got, loaded the Bibles in her suitcase and she went to the airport. She paid for a ticket and as she went to get on the plane, she looked and the flight attendants had the exact same outfit on that she had. And so because she matched the flight attendants perfectly, they didn't look at her bag. And she was able to get the Bibles into the foreign country without her bag ever being searched. That's a pretty awesome story and I actually know the lady that that happened to. So I know that that's true. But the reason I'm saying that is that Christian maturity becoming more and more dependent upon Christ. It's not being independent and doing everything yourself. See, we could look at this church and we could say, okay, this is the strategy that we're going to implement. This is what we're going to do moving forward. This is how we're going to design the church. This is how we're going to reach the community. It's going to be a three, four, five phase program. And we're going to install these lights and install these machines and play these type songs and do this kind of thing. And this is the way we're going to design our children's church. And we could do all of those strategies. But if God isn't in it, every one of those strategies would fail. But if God breathes on us, regardless of how terrible our strategy is, it will succeed and it will do so in a glorious way. Think about this. You're going to attack a foreign city that has walls that are super high. And this is back before you have automatic rifles or sniper rifles or bombs or anything. You have swords and bows and arrows. You're going to attack a city and they've got 30 foot walls. You can strategize how to do that. Or you can listen to God and He says walk around the city once a day for six days and on the seventh day walk around the city seven times. Walk around the walls 13 times and then yell. That's your strategy. That is a terrible strategy. That is awful. <coughs> but you know what? It worked. Why did it work? Because they were completely dependent upon God. And that's the point of Christian maturity that we want to get to. We want to be completely and entirely dependent upon God. Everything that He says we want to move, regardless of how stupid it makes us look or how stupid we feel doing it, if He says move, we want to move. So then after our Christian maturity season, that was the first exclamation point we had the baptism at the bay. And we were able to baptize nine people. And a couple of those were new converts and um, a couple were just people rededicating their lives or being baptized for the first time and that was glorious and then the following week we, Faith and I endured an awful sickness but after that I was able to travel up to Tennessee and cap further capitalize adding the second exclamation point by baptizing nine more people and that was awesome so the first conclusion of our season we got to baptize nine, 18 people as a result or a product of this ministry and then we pressed on and we began our Emmaus Road series and we really just looked at each individual relationship between us and Christ. Not the abstract or transcendent relationships, but we looked at intimate relationships. He is the vine, we are the branches. He is the bridegroom, we are the bride. He is the foundation, we are the building. We looked at those relationships. He is our shepherd and we are the sheep of his pasture. And we really just followed through with each one of those and realized that everything that we have is from, of, for, through, by, 
and built and founded completely in Christ. And then last week we got to add the final exclamation point to that first opening season and we got to have a children's church presentation and communion all in one Sunday. And that, I gotta say, was probably my favorite Sunday since we've been here. We've preached some great messages, we've had some great times, we've seen some great baptisms, we've seen some great things happen, people's lives affected. But I have to say, seeing children excited about the Word of God did more for me than all of the messages that I've preached since I've been here. Because seeing children putting forth the Word of God, being trained up in the way that they should go. We know by the Word of God, if we can train them up in the way that they should go, when they're old, they won't depart from it. When they're old and they have the ability and the physical capabilities to back that zeal that's instilled in them from their young, then they can do great things for the kingdom. We also saw our highest attendance since we've been here last Sunday, which was awesome. We're seeing God do a work. And I'm going over all of this. And I'll tell you, I'll read it in Scripture why I'm doing this in a second. But I'm going over all of this because this is something to be proud of. This is something to be excited about. Not the fact that we have good numbers. Not the fact that the church is doing this, this, and this. The fact that we're seeing lives impacted. And it's not just saved, not saved. Although those are glorious truths, seeing someone converted from from death to life. But it's about seeing people that are in Christ growing up and becoming more mature in Christ. Seeing people that have been in Christ for a long period of time becoming more and more excited about being in Christ. Seeing a church that has been here for a while beginning to overflow and affect the community because we've had some some impacts in the community as well and we're going to get even further out into the community as time goes on but in my personal evangelism out in the community people have heard about the church that I've never seen before and they know that something is going on here and I don't know if it's just from conversations that you guys have had with people because you're excited about the direction the church is going or if it's just second word of mouth this person tells this person that person tells that person and each time I have a conversation and someone's heard of the church it just lights a fire in me because it's like God is pushing this and we need to get on that track remember I said maturity is being dependent upon God it's not about the strategies we implement it's about letting God lead the way and us just running and trying to keep up my prayer since we've been down here and face laughed at me several times is not God make me the best preacher God make me the best pastor God make me the My prayer, and I promise, cross my heart, my prayer has been, dear God, don't let me mess this up. That has been my prayer from day one. Is God, I know that there's so much potential here in this community. I know that this church has so much potential. Dear God, don't let me mess this up. I am completely and fully dependent upon Him. I don't preach unless He says preach it. I don't move or make a decision without first seeking Him in prayer about it. The name was bathed and bathed and bathed in prayer and meditation and we changed our mind 500 times before we finally just said, okay, God, this is the name that you want. Everything about this has been, God, we're depending on you. We can sow seed, we can water seed, we can till ground, we can pray and pray and pray, but the only thing that provides increase in this ministry or any other is God. See, we could do a bunch of fancy shows and spend a whole lot of money and attract people. But if it's not God 
that's bringing them here, then we'll have to have the next update on technology or the next fanciest program or the next fanciest skit or whatever to keep them. But if we can let God bring them and root them and plant them here, then it'll be God that'll keep them in our hands and our job is made a whole lot easier. See, you can grab somebody by the hand and you can drag them to Jesus and you can make them say a prayer, but that doesn't convert them from death to life. And what converts them from death to life is them having a legitimate desire and experience to meet the person of Jesus Christ and realizing that without Him they are nothing, have nothing, can do nothing, and will be nothing. And they will spend an eternity in hell unless they realize that He paid the penalty for their sin. Unless they take part in that substitutionary sacrifice, that great exchange, that's the only thing that will bring them from death to life. They have to meet the person Jesus. I can't teach you the best way to pray to do that because a child's prayer that just says, I want Jesus is more than sufficient than the most eloquent prayer of somebody who has a heart of stone. What we need to do is introduce people to the person of Jesus Christ and let Him root them. And that's the goal. That's the goal. And I know I sound like I'm all over the place, but I promise there's a point and we'll get to it. The goal is this, for us to depend on Jesus. For, to depend on Him for growing this church. Depend on Him for reaching this community. Even depend on Him for converting people from death to life. Depend on Him for growing them up to become mature men and women of God. Depend on Him for establishing and planning our children's church. Depend on Him for taking care of our nursery. Because anything can happen in a nursery. Thank God that we've got a good one. But we depend on Him for that. When we have the youth built up, we're going to depend on Him for that. When we do our outreach event, we're going to depend on Him for that. That's the theme. That's the message. Depend on God. Become completely helpless. Better yet, let me put it this way. Become aware of your complete helplessness. Because whether or not you choose to be completely helpless, you really and truthfully are. You must come to an awareness of that and let God begin to do for you and through you and sometimes in spite of you. Amen? Alright, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Got to read that. His divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all, meaning everything, that pertains to life and godliness. That's a pretty big gift. But how does He do it? Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Who's... Who's the one that called us to His own glory and excellence? Through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge or the knowing of Jesus Christ who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us precious and very great promises. It just keeps getting better. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Got to be a separation. Got to be an escape. Let me stop right there. We'll keep reading in just a second. When I first got saved, when I first was truly converted to Jesus Christ, I had a whole lot of bad friends. I mean, you can imagine. Some of you have heard my testimony. I was a former drug dealer. I was a drunk. I was engaged in all kinds of prescription medicine. I was 
as bad as it gets. I could literally say with Paul, I am the chief of sinners. I am good at sinning. But you know what? The first thing when I got saved and I truly came to Jesus Christ, the first thing, and I couldn't get away from it, is you have to get rid of every one of your friends. And I did not understand that. The problem is, is that in every relationship, somebody is influencing and someone is being influenced. And I, being a baby Christian, because remember, we went through that Christian maturity series. When you get saved, you are an infant in Christ. You may know a couple scriptures, but really and truthfully, when it comes to spiritual knowledge, you know very little, regardless of how many verses you can quote or how many aspects of theology you understand. You really, spiritually, you know very little. And they are mature sinners. They've been sinning for a long time. They're adult sinners against a baby Christian. And there's more of them than me. In every relationship, someone's influencing and someone's being influenced. The reason that I could not get away from the fact that I had to separate myself from my friends, or the ones I called my friends at that time, was because the Spirit of God knew that if I stayed in the same contact with the same friends, that I would put myself right back into the life of sin. Because when you've been in something and addicted to something for so long, lies form in your head about this. Like alcohol, for example. When you've been steeped in alcohol for so long, lies start to form in your head. You don't realize that it's killing your body. You don't realize that it's a waste of money. You don't realize that it's tarnishing or hampering or dampering your relationships with others. And you, you begin to become and realize and think that this is a good thing because lies have formed in your head about it. You begin to tell yourself or your body tells you that it tastes good because your body has developed an addiction to it, and it doesn't. You begin to tell yourself that it's the only way that you can have a good time. And I'm not talking about, I'm talking about alcoholism. I'm talking about drunkenness. I think there needs to be a distinction. Because personally, I don't think that if you're at your anniversary and you have a sip of wine, that that is a sin. I don't think that drunkenness is the same thing as drinking a glass of red wine for antioxidant health. And I'm not, Paul even tells Timothy, have a, Timothy, have a glass of wine for your stomach's sake. There's a difference between drunkenness, and I, don't, I, I need to step back from that. The point I'm telling you, or the point that I'm pushing, is that sin begins to harden your heart and it begins to form lies in your mind. Drugs do the same thing. You get high the first time, and then the rest of your life in drugs, you're going to be chasing that first high, and you'll never get it back. And everybody that's been on drugs any amount of time will tell you that the first time they ever got high was the highest that they'll ever get because your body starts to develop immunity to certain reactions that the chemicals put in your body. And you will never get as high as you got the first time. You'll never have that first high feeling. And so the rest of your life you chase that feeling by adding more drugs, by smoking more, by doing more. And you never get that feeling again. So those lies form in your mind that you need this, that you can't live without this, that it's okay to steal from so-and-so to get it. 
I've been there. And that's why I'm, you know, Marty and I had a conversation and he was telling me about Katrina and after Katrina happened and the relief groups come in and he was talking to me about how angry he was. And he said people would come down and they'd say, I understand. And he said, and that infuriated him more than anything else because he's like, really? Have you ever lost everything that you had due to a natural disaster or due to a flood or due to a hurricane? Have you literally watched your entire life swept away? No. Then how can you possibly understand? I'm not coming from that perspective. I'm coming from the perspective of somebody who's been in that lifestyle. I understand because I was there. I had the lies in my mind that it's okay to steal that money to get your next fix because your next fix is more important than them paying their rent or them paying their bills. I've had those lies in my mind. And what that is from, and Hebrews 3 will tell you this. I actually have that Scripture written down by off chance. Hebrews 3 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today, that none of you, and here's the kicker, be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin forms lies in your minds, and then those lies harden your heart. And it will eventually lead you to a place of a reprobate mind. But the point that I'm trying to make, that I'm trying to push, is that the only way to truly get out of that, you may have the willpower to get out of one bondage into, into another. You may have the willpower to quit smoking, to quit drinking, to quit fighting with your spouse. You may have the willpower to do any of those things but you will inevitably put yourself in another habit because there is something in our body that requires a hole to be filled. They call it the great void, the great vacuum. Augustine says, St. Augustine, or St. Augustine for those people that pronounce it weird, says that our hearts were created after God and they can only find rest in Him. So our body will continually churning from one addiction or one bondage or one desire or one lust after another until it comes to that place of rest in Christ because He's the only one that can give it. Every desire that we have can only be satisfied in Him. So in that, with my friends, the reason I had to separate myself from them is because of the simple fact that I didn't have a deep enough or a mature enough relationship in Christ. There was still too much of me to ward off those desires, those lusts. So if I was with them and I saw them getting high, or I saw them engaging in sensual activities, or I saw them doing all of these wicked things that I used to do, sin would begin to remind me of those lies. And those lies would start spurning in my head again. Like, it's okay. Jesus paid it all. How many times have we heard that one in church? It's okay. Sin. There's blood for that. I've heard that one hundred times. Hundreds of thousands of times. Like, only God can judge me. This is not what I was intended to, to talk about. But apparently it's what's needed. Only God can judge me. 
that should be the single most terrifying thought that ever crosses the corridor of your mind. That everything that you do, every word that you say, every moment that you live, every thought that you think, every desire of your heart will one day be put in front of an altogether holy and blameless and spotless God that has not only all power but all knowledge and His presence is everywhere at all times and He has all authority in heaven and earth and nothing can contradict His final ruling. There is no court of appeals. There is no revocal of His decision. There is no veto process. Whatever He says is final and the verdict cannot be overchanged. And one day I will have to stand in front of Him and you will too. And you won't have your church beside you. You won't have your pastor beside you standing to say, oh yeah, this is why they sinned. This is, this is why they're okay. They were struggling with this issue. No. It will be you alone in front of a limitless God and you will have to give account for every dime you ever spent, every word you ever said, every moment that you ever breathed, every decision you ever made, every action you ever committed, every time you were on a computer and you clicked on a website that you shouldn't, every time you engaged in a lustful thought after a woman that walked by, every time that you smoked something that you shouldn't have smoked or drank a little bit too much and acted a way that you shouldn't have acted, everything that you've ever done will be before God. I can just picture the Jumbotron from Dallas Cowboys Stadium sitting right here and God right here and you standing and millions and billions of people around from all of creation, everybody that's ever lived watching in the audience and your life is played on the screen. And it doesn't matter how long it will take because time will no longer be a factor. The judgment may take millions of years. We may sit and watch your entire life from the moment that you were born till the moment that you were laid in the grave played on a jumbotron in front of a holy God and you're sitting there watching I'm going to have to answer for that and the scariest part is the part after you got saved and the reason that that's the scariest part is because now I know that it's wrong See, before I came to the knowledge and the revelation of Jesus Christ, maybe I would be able to say I did some of those things in ignorance. But now that I have the blood on my life and I have a knowledge of the Word of God and of what is good and what is not good, now when I watch that jumbotron, I'm going to have to say, that sin right there that I committed, I did it knowing that it was a disgrace and a dishonor to a heavenly God. I spat in God's face when I committed that sin. I had somebody come to me a while back and they were actually struggling with a pornography issue. And this has been, that's been a good while ago. They were struggling to me with a pornography issue and they called me on the phone. It was before we ever even came down here. And they said, what do I do? It's like every time I go to get on Facebook or to look something up on Google, I always, always, always find myself going and clicking on this link and clicking on this link, and before I know it, I'm on a website that I should not be on. How do I stop this? You know what I told them? I said, every time you sit your hind in in that computer chair, I want you to open a Bible and lay it beside your keyboard on one side. I want you to take your cell phone on the other side, and I want you to play a worship song. And then I want you to see if you have the capability to go on that computer and follow those links while worship is playing and your Bible's open next to you. Because then if you do have that capability, number one, you'll either turn the worship music off and close your Bible. Or number two, you don't know God. Because if you know God, you cannot look at those things while your Bible's open and your phone's playing worship music. You cannot. And you know what? That person can actually attest that it fixed his problem. 
And I'm just pointing that up because that was an example of someone that's come to me. There's other things too, like this one. And this was some advice that I actually got because somebody, you just, everybody has those people that just get on your nerves. Like they've never done anything wrong to you, but it's like the very sound of their voice just bothers you. Come on, we're all people. We have those people in our life. Maybe, maybe they said something and you overheard them once, or maybe they liked the wrong football team, and it's just like for some reason they just irk you. Like, it, there's no reason for it. It's just life. They just bother you. Something about them just bothers something about you. And I had somebody like that. And every time they talked, I was just like, oh my goodness, save me, kill me, God. Like, that was really what I thought. And I had somebody tell me this. And this person gave horrible advice, always. And Faith, as soon as I tell this advice, she'll know exactly who I'm talking about. But they gave horrible advice. But he told me. He said, you know, he said, every time you think that, pray for him. He said, because you can't hate him and pray for him at the same time. You'll either stop being mad at him or you'll stop praying one or the other. Know exactly who I'm talking about, don't you? But you know what? It works. You either have to choose to stop interceding for them or you have to choose to stop hating them. One or the other because you can't have both. And it is tough. I'm not going to lie. It is hard. Because you'll start praying for them and then you'll start praying for the thing that you hate and then you realize all you're really doing is talking about how much you hate them to God. <laughs> just, just keeping it like... Trying to make a serious message. Serious. But understand that this whole thing, Christianity has to be everything. It has to be everything. This is not a social club. This is not where we gather on Sunday so that we can stamp our card and when we get to heaven say, God, look at my attendance record. That is not what this is. This is a place where we come together, number one, to worship and glorify God. Number two, to make disciples. Number three, to become more mature. Number four, to fellowship with one another so that we can be a body. And number five, be a powerful impact on the community outside. We have a mission from God to proclaim His gospel out there. You come here so that you can be encouraged in your hurting and in your suffering and in your pain. You come here so that you can be edified and equipped and taught how. You come here so that we can have fellowship and communion and love together because you won't find it out there. Not real love. Verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. That's a pretty serious statement might want to memorize those qualities and make sure that you have them. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. That's back to the Jumbotron. Cleansed from our former sins. The penalty was paid and the moment that we're converted, every sin we've ever committed is washed away. Have you ever asked yourself, why do I ask God for forgiveness when I sin if Christ paid the penalty for my sins. 
if I'm forgiven of my sins, why do I ask for forgiveness once I'm sinned? And I've heard, I've asked that question to several ministers, and I've heard everything. I've heard, well, you're not really asking forgiveness. You're really just giving thanks for God, the fact that God forgave you, forgave you. And like I've heard all kinds of, of playoffs. But here's the truth: cleanse from your former sins. The reason that we ask for forgiveness for every sin that we commit that's brought to our attention once we're saved is because when Christ died, He laid a provision for salvation. When we are converted, that provision is applied to our life and we are forgiven of every sin we've ever committed up to that point. The reason that we ask for forgiveness after we are saved is because we are sinning against God and we have to tap into that provision and attain the forgiveness that was paid when Christ paid it all. This whole junk... And it's what it is. It's junk, it's lies, it's hypocrisy, and it's straight from the pit of hell. This stuff that says that once you're saved, you're scot-free and you can do whatever you want because you know Jesus and all you have to do is ask for forgiveness, that is a lie from hell. The truth is, is once you're converted, you get a new heart. And your new heart should have new desires which pushes you into further godliness and a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And then when you mess up, or you sin, it should grieve your heart so badly that you can't help but cry out for forgiveness because you're mourning over it as much as God is mourning over it. You're crying about your sins. You're upset about your sins. You're mad about your failures. The fact that you can't be perfect should be offensive to you. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And here's the verse I was actually planning to preach on. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. What he's saying is, I know that you know these things. Some of the truths that we preach, I know that you know them. I hope that you know them. But I'm stirring your mind up to remember them, to recount them, to reflect on them. You need to be reminded of the truths that you know. You need to be reminded of the truth that's in Jesus. If somebody tells you every single day that Jesus is Lord, praise God! Because you need to meditate on that a little bit more than you do. I need to meditate that on a little bit more than I do. If somebody tells you every single day that without Jesus Christ you're going to burn in hell, praise God. Meditate on that. Meditate on the fact that Jesus Christ coming to this earth was a gift and that God could have just wiped everybody off the face of the earth, threw us in eternal hell, and been perfectly justified in doing so. But instead, He laid out the plan of atonement, sent us a substitutionary sacrifice, and gave us the gift of redemption so that we might have fellowship with Him. Praise God. Remind yourself of it. Meditate on it. Think about it. Reflect about it. Because it's a powerful truth. And we get so nonchalant about the simplest truths in Scripture that we stumble over it. The Bible says don't be offended at the simplicity that's in Christ. Yet we are all the time. I know you, especially in the Facebook age, you're scrolling through Facebook and somebody posts a Scripture and you just keep scrolling. Sometimes you scroll faster because you're like, well, I just, 
you know, I want to read that, but I don't want to read that in that post. Like, I know that some of them go a little bit too far. If you love Jesus, share this. If you don't, you're going to go to hell. Like, no, that's stupid. Like, the Bible doesn't say share every post or go to hell. Like, that's not what it says. But if somebody posts a scripture, it takes you literally a second to read that. Read it. Meditate on it. You know, I read this quote, and it actually impacted my life. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite men of all time, he said this. He said, find the verse that you hate in the Bible. The one that you hate. The one that you wish wasn't there. Find that verse. And then make that your life's motto until you master it or it masters you. Because the verse that you wish wasn't in the Bible is the verse that you need the most. At least that's what faith told me. (laughs) Master the Word. Let the Word master you. Remind yourselves of the simplest truths in the Bible. And don't be offended at the simplicity. You know, when I first got saved and I was preaching as an itinerant preacher and I was preaching a lot, you know, I was getting mad that it was becoming more and more difficult for me to preach a message that wasn't like any other message that I've ever preached. It was becoming more and more difficult for each message to be original, to be different, to be new. And it was aggravating me because I didn't want to be one of those people that every time you heard them, they sounded just like you heard them the time before. But I realized something. Every message should sound the same in this simple fact. The simplest truths of the gospel are the truths that need to be proclaimed over and over and over and over again. Again and again and again. I'm not going to... I want to read you this verse and then I want to I go. Proverbs 12, verse 3. No one is established by wickedness. No one, none, is established, rooted, founded, grounded, solid, unmovable, unshakable. No one is established by wickedness. But the root of the righteous will never be moved. The verse that we chose, the two verses that we chose for this church, is Colossians 2, 6, and 7. And it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted, rooted, and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Rooted and built up in Him. Rooted means established, planted. You remember the parable of the sower? All the different types of seed. This one was sown to the wayside. The birds took it up. This was sown on rocks and it shot up really quickly and it died when the sun came out. Remember that? But the last kind was sown in good soil and its roots went deep and it was solid so the plant lived and grew and thrived. What I want for you is I want you to be so rooted in the Word of God, so established, so unmovable, that they could take me out of here. I could die. I could retire. I could leave. And you keep going on the same trajectory you were with me here. Because if the church is completely dependent or centered around me, it's centered on the wrong thing. But if it's centered around Jesus, then I am just an aspect of the circle that can be taken out and replaced with somebody else and the church continues to be centered and circled and trajecting towards the same thing as it were if I were here. That's the goal. That you be rooted in Jesus. Not rooted in your cool pastor. Because I think I'm a pretty cool pastor. Rooted in Jesus. Founded in Jesus. Built up 
in Jesus. In Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's why we call it Christianity. Because it's about Christ. That's why we love the Alliance so much. Because it's not about doctrine, although doctrine is important. It's about the person, the man, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Alright, so here's what I want to do. The wicked are not established. Ever. We read that. Paul begins every single epistle that he writes. Grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. And what he's actually saying, if you break it down, and I won't go through the whole breakdown, he's actually saying stability to you. And I can prove that. Peace is mental stability. Grace to you. Circle that to gratitude. Brings out joy. Joy is emotional stability. He's actually saying emotional and mental stability to you. At least that's one way to preach that. He's saying stability to you. Establishment to you. Root to you. Grounding to you. Be grounded in Jesus is what he says. That's the way he opens every single letter. Be established. Be grounded. Be rooted. But the wicked don't have that option. And I don't do this all the time, but I'm going to do it this morning. I want you to understand that if you are not 100% sure that you're in Jesus Christ, you can come up here. If you're not 100% sure that you're in Jesus Christ, we're about to have a baptism. And there was supposed to be more people get baptized, but they're not here, so what? They'll get baptized another day, and, or they'll have to take that up with Jesus. The point that I want to make is, if you're in wickedness, if you're in sin, if Jesus isn't the focal point, if you're not founded and grounded in Jesus and you know it, then don't let the, your jumbotron reflect that. Let your jumbotron show the whole time you're watching the movie. Just wait till I get to September 8th, 2019. Like I'm just wait, wait for it. Cuz I know mine. July 24th, 2011. Wait till my jumbotron gets there. Because when it gets there, when it gets there everything changes. So let September 8th of 2019 be yours. When it gets to there, that's the day that I gave it all. That's the day that I stopped playing Christianity. That's the day that I started stopped being partial in my Christianity. That's the day that I full on gave 100% commitment and said from now on, every decision, I'll look at Jesus and know that that's the decision that He'd want me to make. My dependence is completely on Him now. So what we're going to do is everybody in here, this isn't some mysticism thing. This isn't something that you need to do so that the spiritual powers awake. This is just so that people have a moment to reflect on their thoughts. Close your eyes, all of you. Now, right now, every single person's eyes closed. No one's watching. They will be in a second, but right now they're not. What I want you to do is if you know that you haven't been in Christ up to this point, or maybe you think you have in word, but your deeds and your heart hasn't really reflected that, and when all the eyes are off of you, like they are right now, when you're alone, your thoughts aren't on Christ. When you go to those websites, those websites aren't the Bible. When you pick up that substance, that substance doesn't have to happen to be a Bible. The high that you're seeking isn't the most high. If any of those things or any other funny little relational things apply to you, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to get out of your seat. I want you to have a little bit of boldness and I want you to make a commitment for Jesus. A full-on commitment. A full-on surrender. Let September 8th of 2019 be the day that you're waiting for on your jumbotron when you stand before all the nations that have ever existed and you give an account of your life to God. I'm not going to tarry a whole long time. 
but this is the perfect day to do it because number one, you could make the full commitment and then number two, you could walk right over there in the other room and you could be baptized. And you could just get it all done in one, one full swoop. If you don't know Jesus, come now. Come to the front. We want to pray for you. If you're not 100% sure, I'm just going to take another moment. Then I want you to get up. I want you to come to the front. Because this isn't about thought what people are going to think about you. Because they're going to see it eventually anyway on your Jumbotron. They're going to see it. And you know what? They're going to see today and they're going to see the thoughts that are going through your head. Because God knows all the intents of the heart and every thought that goes through your head. So they're going to see the wrestling. They're going to see the struggling. They're going to see either you're getting up and moving forward in faith or they're going to see you're sitting still in disobedience.